What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty here to intro you into part two of episode two, our conversation with Pierre Rochard, co-founder of the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute. Uh, if you haven't listened to part one yet, I recommend you go back, download it, listen to it, share it, review it, um, because if you don't, uh, you're going to miss out on a big part of our conversation. Uh, and jumping into where we left off may seem a little confusing. Uh, as we pick up in part two, we left off with uh, Pierre describing hyper-Bitcoinization and speculative attacks. This is where we pick up, and uh, throughout part two, we hit on a bunch of other topics, including Bitcoin versus Ethereum, um, the ICO mania we've experienced this year, and quality over quantity. Um, it's... In my opinion, this conversation is only getting more interesting as uh, we get deeper into it. So I hope you guys enjoy. And uh, again, if you do, subscribe, review, tell your friends. And uh, let's spread the Bitcoin love. Uh, so again, enjoy part two, episode two, Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt. New U.S. dollars are created when someone goes and borrows from a bank. And that actually causes the value of dollars to go down. And then the fact that you're taking those dollars and buying Bitcoins causes the value of Bitcoins to go up. And then what do you do? You can sell a portion of your Bitcoins, pay off your loan, and boom. And boom, you're done. And that's been my investment thesis since the beginning. We're going to see a great rotation Sort of from fiat currencies, not completely at first, but yeah. eventually over time, over hundreds of years, but a rotation from these fickle currencies to to a better monetary system, which is so, Bitcoin. I, I see it happening in like decades. Decades? Yeah. So uh, because that cycle is a you know vicious cycle in the sense that when people see the price of Bitcoin going up, even if their currency is fantastic, even if they live in Switzerland and they have the best currency, they still see the price of Bitcoin going up in their local currency. And it starts to set an expectation about the returns that you get from holding Bitcoin. And basically, hyper-Bitcoinization is driven by what percentage of the population has an expectation of the price of Bitcoins going up. And once you get to a critical mass... Uh, then that expectation gets realized and the local currency ceases to exist and everyone's just using Bitcoins. Is this sort of like a debt jubilee to some extent uh, too? So Would you have to pay your debt back in Bitcoin? It is, it, it, it is a debt jubilee in the sense that all debt contracts today are denominated in dollars. Mm -hmm. And so if dollars are worth zero, then unless you're... I, I want to say stupid enough, but maybe honest enough to go renegotiate your debt into Bitcoin. Stupid enough is the right term. Let's say stupid enough. Uh, then, yeah, it's a debt jubilee. Your your debt is worth zero uh, to the lender, right? Because they they lent out dollars. They expect it to be paid back dollars. You can pay them back dollars. They're just worthless. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it is a debt jubilee, and it will fundamentally uh, reconfigure 
you know, the wealth distribution, it's a huge wealth transfer. I'm I'm heating up. I can feel the blood pressure of people that are hearing this argument mm-hmm. and think Bitcoin's a Ponzi scheme, like freaking yeah, out. So what, yeah. if anything, would stop, if uh, anything, yeah. well, it's very possible. Right. What, okay, what so could stop this from happening? Here's, here's what stops uh, a speculative attack from happening. And this happened very recently, folks. Really? 40 years ago. Um, 40 years ago, most of you guys weren't born. Bretton Woods? Uh, there was there was inflation in the United States. We were under Jimmy Carter, you know, weak leadership. Mm-hmm. As some would say, low energy. Hey, that man cured a disease from the whole earth. I'm gonna give Jimmy Carter some slack. Let's let's not dwell on the negatives of Jimmy Carter. He's a good <laughs> man. He was the president of the United States, and we do need to respect. A former president who has done tremendous amount of philanthropy and good work. However, uh, on the economy, uh, there's uh, some you know some some controversy, and uh, so basically, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan got elected. I have more respect for Ronald Reagan than for Jimmy Carter, but that kind of betrays my political beliefs. Uh, and Paul Volcker. Who actually nowadays he's kind of seen as a liberal, but uh, honestly, like I see him as uh, just uh, a mensch. I I Paul Volcker's the best Fed chairman yeah, to do it. Right, he's the best that ever was. So in that position, Paul Volcker stopped a speculative attack in his tracks. Gold was skyrocketing. Inflation was at twenty percent. And things were basically looking like the Fiat Bretton Woods system was flying off the rails. And we were going to head towards a situation where the dollar was going to collapse. And this is when he raised interest rates like 8%? Oh, 8%. That was the beginning. That was the beginning. So Paul Volcker engaged in money supply targeting. Okay. He said, so, you know, we got different measures of money supply. You got M1, you got he, M2. Yeah. The way I understand, he raised interest rates because of the oil crisis, right? Or was it- Yeah. So, again, it goes back to what I was saying. Like, every yeah. time there's a narrative. Yeah. There's a narrative. Exactly. But, um, I'm not going to interrupt you anymore. No, no, no. That's okay. No. But, like, bottom line is that, yeah, there were, you know, there was a commodities bull market. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's oil due to the oil crisis, but there was gold and silver, too. Uh, and- uh, so his approach is saying, look, we're going to have X percentage gro- growth in our money supply, and the interest rate will do whatever it does to get us there. And so the the outcome was that interest rates went up to like 20%. 20, folks. Twenty percent, okay, and this isn't this isn't the interest rate on your credit card, okay. I get that today your interest rate on your credit card is twenty percent. <laughs> this is the interest rate at which the United States government borrows at, okay. So today that's at like zero percent. Today you're talking single digits, low <laughs> single. Digits. What is it? Seventy five bips right now? Is that yeah. What, so what the Fed, the Fed funds at? rate? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're tightening. <laughs> uh, back then, 20%. Okay. So, could you, could you imagine doing that today? Oh, 
No, it, the, it's the, impossible. The thing that the whole it it would just, it would, yeah, gone. The, I mean, look, the the 2008 financial crisis was caused by Bernanke raising the interest rate from like two percent to six percent or something, you know, and. And that's the predicament we're finding ourselves in right now. It's yeah. like we don't that like, and that's what I think with neo Keynesianism, Keynesianism, yeah. now neo Keynesian. You back yourself into so far of a corner, and that's sort of why I left the futures. I was like, these guys don't have any tools left. They can't yeah. do anything. You can't unless they go to the negative rates, which well, we get into a point where, all right, is this monetary system even there's worth that, it? or they just they start buying stocks, and and you see that don't, in Japan. Don't start talking about the plunge team here. Oh, yeah. uh, plunge protection team over here. Um, so, yeah, so uh, Paul Volcker, by raising interest rates, or you know by letting interest rates float and targeting the money supply, he was able to stop a speculative attack from happening against the United States dollar and that was in you know 1980 81 uh today if you if 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 the government wanted to stop a speculative attack against bitcoin or against the, their fiat currency by bitcoin the interest rate they would have to go to would be unconscionable okay you're talking like triple digits okay because and the reason is that Contrary to popular belief, when the price of gold goes up, more gold gets produced because Makes gold sense. miners will produce like as much gold as they can at the cost that is profitable to them. And so if the price is going up, that means that they can increase their costs and they can go out and mine more gold. You don't have that with Bitcoin because every two weeks, the difficulty gets retargeted. And so that means that... If you've got more miners coming into Bitcoin and they're trying to get their Bitcoins, uh, every two weeks, the game gets harder. And there's no winning this. This is like, it's it, Bitcoin mining is like one of the most vicious it is, markets out there. It's one of the purest markets in the world. Oh, it's... It's like Bitcoin in general is one of the purest markets in the world. Mm -hmm. Mining specifically, when you get down to it, it's literally open source software. If you have the yeah. hardware... You can download the software on your hardware and start Every, running it. Everyone knows the algorithm. It's Shaf two fifty six squared. Everyone can, anyone can do it anywhere in the world, and the Chinese are proving it, right? And that means that there's so it readjusts every two weeks, so that only a specific amount of bitcoins are created on average every ten minutes, and that means that the government would have to be hyper aggressive in trying to stop a speculative attack because there's no release valve on the supply side on on the other uh on, on yeah on bitcoin side so let's get into attack scenarios here do you think yeah a, a government or a coalition of governments will ever attempt to 51 percent attack bitcoin right now it costs about 31 billion dollars yeah this this goes back this goes back to the block size uh debate and nodes versus miners mm -hmm. and that at the end of the day if someone wants to take their mining hardware and fork themselves out of consensus, more power to them. We will find other miners. There is a global market. And, you know, I, I think that we're like a couple of decades away from having a like having miners outside of Earth. OK, <laughs> I'm serious. This, and 
like satellites mining. All right, let's go for it. Let's go for yes. like trippy sci-fi let's Bitcoin theories, it. like things that right. our grandchildren will benefit from. Yes. And uh, there's good reason to believe that that Bitcoin is good intergalactic money as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because of the blockchain and because you can sync up with it and the the theory is that most Bitcoin mining is going to be done on Mercury. Why is this? Closest to the sun. Makes sense. Use solar power. And it actually, it doesn't really matter. Um, How fast is that propagation from, from it Mercury? Actually, so, yeah, I was about to say, that doesn't, that, that only matters up to an extent. Um, really? And, yeah, so... Uh, I think I think it was Peter Todd who was putting forward this this theory, and uh, I'm sympathetic to it. Um, eventually, you get to uh, Dyson spheres. Now, folks, okay, okay, you just what? Yeah, uh, what? What are Dyson spheres? Okay, so you know, I'm talking about like Mercury. It's like a tiny little planet floating around the uh, sun. I saw something about ice caps on Mercury. I mean, we won't get into that. But That's interesting. Okay, that interests the hell out of me. I was like, ice on yeah. Mercury. It seems a little interesting. But. Uh, but so yeah, you got a little dot around the sun. What if you wrapped the entire sun with solar panels? And so the sun, all of everything coming out of the sun is going into these solar panels, into in this sphere around the sun, and it's all mining bitcoins. And so you've basically just captured the entire sun's output. <laughs> Well, wouldn't that be redundant because you'd kill yourself in the process? Yeah. So, so uh, we're, folks, we're we're going to have to go not just in the solar system. We got to go find a different sun to do this to. Okay. <laughs> let's not let's not kill the goose that lays the golden eggs here. All right. But, so we just don't sound like a couple of quacks. Let's yeah, talk about um, how this process would got, play out. We got super quacky. How no, would this play out? Yeah. Like from from uh, us having mining. Cartels basically in yeah. China to being able to mine in space. What needs like what mm. is the timeline? What needs to happen between now and that's possible? Uh, and Elon Musk needs to keep on hustling. Oh my god, I love that dude. I don't understand people that hate on him. I, <laughs> like finance world in particular, like stock pickers that hate on Tesla. It's like this man's trying to take us to Mars. Like yeah, and you know I feel the same way about Jeff Bezos. Um, uh, again, my mother-in-law. She's like, hey, you got to support local businesses. You can't be ordering everything off Amazon. I'm like, look, every dollar I spend on Amazon, a fraction of a penny is going towards Jeff Bezos' space program. Okay? I'm like, I'm helping support the human race. Okay? Not just your local You're doing more community. buying stuff on Amazon than you are paying taxes because the government oh. isn't giving any money to NASA. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. The, no, the government's just uh, paying for like someone's type 2 diabetes treatment. Uh, they're not, they're not, yeah. Na- eat a steak, people. Oh, God damn, eat a steak. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I think that with these uh, private companies that are really, you know, they're looking at reusing rockets, uh, being able to travel from one point on the earth to another point on the earth in less than an hour, any other, you know, you, you can, We're talking like New York to Tokyo, not yeah. New York to, to Boston. New York to Tokyo in 30 minutes because you're going on a goddamn rocket. You know, like, so I think that the more that space commercializes, and so the, the problem with going into space is that it's expensive to put heavy material into space, right? So to put all your ASIC mining data center in space. Um, 
and and then I, I I don't know the physics of the cooling. I imagine it's it's really cold up there. Uh, you, you go on the dark side of the moon, maybe. Uh, and see you on the dark side of the moon. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, maybe may, you know we'll have space mining for sure. But um, the other thing too is that governments are diverse. There's a lot of diversity in governments. You've got on one hand like. Governments that are very responsive to their people that are interested in, you know, improving their lives of their citizens. And then on the other hand, you have like totalitarian, like, uh, you know, shitholes, you know, like North Korea. Yeah. So uh, it's totally reasonable to expect the totalitarian shitholes to ban Bitcoin, to mine Bitcoin for illicit purposes or to try to undermine the network or whatever. Uh, and then there are going to be governments that let private Bitcoin miners do their thing as long as, you know, they pay their property taxes, which is reasonable. Um, and the, the, it goes back to Satoshi saying, you know, honest nodes make the network. And so if you have a dishonest node in a totalitarian society, the rest of the world will continue mining blocks and completely disregard the bullshit coming out of your network, uh, out of your node. Uh, there's just no reason for us to give any sort of credence to someone who's just like putting out invalid transactions, invalid blocks, mining nonsense. Uh, that, that to me is the beauty of network governance, is that on, on a, a every level, everyone is sovereign and no one is sovereign. That oh, that's a great way to put it. It's the Schrodinger's Schrodinger's mm-hmm. box of uh, mm-hmm. of sovereignty. And I don't know if that was a good analogy, but whatever, um, it works. It works, and and that's what like I want to say. It pisses me off about like Ethereum and all these altcoins are like and, and like, fucking Professor yeah. Bitcoin who's oh, all like boy. governance, governance, governance. Oh, it's like governance is an emergent property from the system. Right. It, it just is. It right. is just what we agree on at a certain point in time. Right. right. There's no, you're not going to vote for anybody to lead you towards governance. It's just something that everybody comes to individually. That's what the whole concept is. It's a person to person network. Individuals right. have to make individual decisions. And basically the consensus of those decisions is what Bitcoin is at the you end know, of the day. What, one of the difficulties... And that is the governance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think uh, uh, what what trips people up is that if you don't understand Bitcoin on a technical level, it's very hard to make governance decisions for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's true. At the end of the day, you kind of have to like outsource it on some level to someone that you trust that they have the technical knowledge to evaluate these different governance trade-offs and then run their software. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of like, that's the litmus test. What software are you running? Uh, and uh, that that is kind of like one of the, the controversies is who, who in Bitcoin do we trust? Um, me personally. And I'm not saying that because I've made the, this, this decision, you know, that, well, first of all, it's not set in stone, right? Tomorrow I could change my mind. Uh, and second of all, I don't think that everyone should make the same decision. They should evaluate the facts on their merit. But the the current team that is maintaining Bitcoin, that we call Bitcoin Core, uh, is the most competent set of developers who 
have a keen understanding of the trade-offs involved in Bitcoin's governance, and I run their software all day, every day. And I'm going to give a little pushback to you here. Do it. S Semantics, core is not a team. It's a process. It is a process Fair. of Fair. how you get code implemented into the Bitcoin implementation that decides yes. consensus right now. So right. it's not a team in the sense of you core, you knock on core's door and you say, hey, yeah, I want to no, try out for no. the team. Yeah. Like, and they're like, you're on it. Anybody, me, you are doing this right now. Yeah. You are writing code and running it through core's process. And if your code is good enough to get accepted yeah. via peer review, it will be accepted. So and it, course process- Nobody's giving you permission to, right. to do pull requests and stuff like right. that. Right, yeah. So- um, there's a there's a concept agency agency you, you can analogy or you, it's synonymous almost with initiative personal individual initiative uh, core and uh, core exists as uh, the same way that the Bitcoin network exists in the sense of it's a meeting of the minds and you have a group of individuals uh, who happen to their minds happen to meet at a certain point, and it is the Bitcoin repository, folks. This is a vocabulary word here. Repository, which is where all of the uh, source code that determines what the Bitcoin software, the, the main Bitcoin software is uh, on uh, a website called github.com. Uh, their minds meet there, and um, they have a very thorough process of peer review for any code that goes into the Bitcoin software. And not only is there peer review, but there's also a, a thorough set of tests. Uh, th and this is very important in, in software development. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard for folks outside of software development to understand, but um, software is inherently unreliable. Uh, it's, yeah, everyone's everyone's come across a bug in their software. Uh, it's it's universal. You get the fail whale on Twitter. If you're in an interview and say you've written bug free software, you're a liar. You're you're such a goddamn liar. <laughs> Turn in your software developer card. You're, if, you're, if you're a junior dev trying to push this stuff, that's not a selling point. All uh, mm. all code's gonna have bugs. Yeah, I mean, if if someone in an interview told me that they only write bug free software, I would tell them to get the fuck out. <laughs> That's an outrageous statement. That's like being a professional football player and saying that every play you execute, not only flawlessly, but you score a touchdown. It's impossible. You score a touchdown with every play. Come on. So, um, and so in football, your adversary is the other team. In programming, the adversary is the computer, and the computer is relentlessly logical. It does exactly what you tell it to do and quite often you don't know what you're telling it to do and so it's uh it's it's a tricky tricky business so that means that you have to have a thorough set of uh, you know tests tests to make sure that the software is doing what you think it is doing um it'll have a mind of its own because humans are not logical computers are logical and so how do you how do you get those to get together uh, so core, uh, you know, well, not core, the Bitcoin software project, uh, is from, from what I've seen, uh, and from the software I've been exposed, kind of the gold standard 
and in it, the rigor of its development process and the quality of it, the the code that's being written today. Now, granted, co- co- pro- programming it's never finished. You're always fixing something, uh, and so uh, Satoshi, you know. Some say he was a genius. Some say he was a terrible programmer. Truth is somewhere in the middle. Maybe, probably. Definitely a genius, I would say. I've I've written trash software. I'll admit it right here, right now, (laughs) folks out there. I've written trash software. It's very easy to write trash software. Um, And so uh, what's hard is when other people look at your software and start wanting to make improvements to it. And that's where, like, your code needs to be moved around a lot. Um, and so by no means was what Satoshi created perfect. Uh, and the team are, that has developed around the Bitcoin repository has been putting out, putting out a tremendous amount of effort to improve, modernize his code. Uh, and that's why I choose to run it. And when people talk about running a node, that's the software they're talking about. There are other implementations of Bitcoin. They're written in other programming languages by other teams. Uh, but from my understanding is that from a reliability point of view, for, and actually, it's not just reliability. We're talking about consensus. And I was talking about a meeting of the minds. But let's not kid ourselves. This network is not about lawyers agreeing on something. It's about software sending messages to other software and the them agreeing that those messages are valid. If you run a different implementation of Bitcoin, uh, you run the risk of your software being incompatible with the network. And um, that can easily happen. Uh, it's happened many times. And in fact, it's happened between different versions of the Bitcoin core software. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, one of the big things was... Um, March 2013? or Oh, you got it, man. Yeah. I was going to try to remember when in 2013 that was. Yeah, it was uh, the... Uh, the accidental was, hard fork. Yeah. Yep. It was a rule that nobody caught, right? Yeah. So they were, up, they were changing the database used by Bitcoin Core. And uh, yeah, so it broke consensus. It caused a hard fork, and people had to roll back their their because. So what happened is people updated their software, and then this bug became apparent, and the hard fork happened. And then they rolled back and you know de-upgraded their software didn't back to, to the old version. And didn't have to be within like a hundred blocks because if the reward uh, of the incompatible. Yeah, chain that was right. I mean, was that the was that the, like the the eighty seven million Bitcoin? Uh, that was I think that was different. That was different. That, that was earlier. Yeah, that was much earlier. This was with uh, Gavin. Uh, yeah, in two thousand thirteen. Okay, I think what you're talking about was with when Satoshi was still around, mm-hmm. maybe in eleven or twelve. Yeah, or no, because he left at the end of ten. Oh, okay. So it would have been like 2009, 2010. There was. See, this is this is one of my biggest weaknesses. I got into Bitcoin at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, and frankly, I don't really know the history of Bitcoin before that time period. It's embarrassing. But... I I learned a lot about it for the first two episodes, and it, it is interesting. And then it it is interesting because it was so fragile in the beginning, and yeah. it could have been. Smashed. Taken behind the taken behind the barn and put out put yeah. out of its misery. Like right. the, the government wanted to shut it down, like in the first three years, that was their golden opportunity. Yeah, 
uh, and they miss it. It survived, and now we're here. We're we're at a hundred billion dollar market. We're at six thousand dollars. So this this is a pattern though in Bitcoin. People don't take it seriously until it's too late. Yeah, that's true. I don't think it's too late though. So you still have time to take it seriously. Oh no, no I mean, I mean, like, if if well, right. But I mean, too late in the sense of look. Like I took it seriously in 2013. I knew about it in 2011. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's too late from the perspective of like me becoming a uh, big whale hodler. Yeah. Um, but for for governments and for finance people, they're so set in their ways and in their Keynesian mindset, in their like big government mindset that. They don't really. They're they're inherently skeptical of Bitcoin, and it's to their detriment because Bitcoin's going to wipe them out. I one hundred percent agree, and that's something that I'm again what I'm trying to do with the podcast, with the newsletter, with everything is try to create like a new base layer of yeah. knowledge that people can work from. Because right. like again, people are falling into this cycle of having to come full circle of yeah. Bitcoin, altcoin. Hey, maybe it's inevitable. Maybe there's just no It it might be. It yeah. might be. Um as with anything you need you need to have experience to, to have some wisdom. Um I think I think what brings people back in is the price. Always the price. And that's what that's and look, I'll be blunt. Part of what sold me on Bitcoin at the beginning of two thousand thirteen was one of my friends, George, George, if you're listening, what's up? Uh, Sup, George? <laughs> he, you know, he just dropped casually, like, yeah, this, this would, this is gonna make us enormously wealthy. Like owning these bitcoins is just like we're gonna, if 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 we're right about the economics on this, which we're very confident about, we're gonna become tremendously wealthy on this. And that, like, like the the that that kind of makes the animal spirits go. Let's get into this a little bit. Yeah. I'm all about getting rich. Yeah. I, too, believe that we are going to get rich from this, but I'm more interested with the revolutionary aspect of it, yeah. of of the taking back your personal sovereignty. So, and, and Jameson Lopp had a great tweet yeah. today. Yeah. That um, he, does does he have a great tweet every day? He has a great tweet every tweet. <laughs> I think. I think so. Let me. Look, I don't want to misquote him. Let's not misquote him. Um, but he said, "Let me pull it up right here," and. Jameson Lop, he's for those of you who don't know, he works at Bit De- or excuse me, Bitgo. Bitgo mm-hmm. Um is one of their lead devs and he was actually swatted a couple days ago. Man, that is just that's completely yeah. unacceptable. It really is. Like, Folks, uh we, you know, I know we're talking about money, we're talking about serious issues, but um well, let's not forget that all of this is secondary to life itself. Uh, I hate to get serious, but no, um, no, no. Th- this needs to be. This needs to be reminded. Everybody yeah, needs to be reminded um, of this. And uh, swatting is kind of a life-threatening situation. Uh, and law enforcement is trying to do the right thing. Obviously, they're being told that someone's being held hostage, uh, and they're intervening in that kind of situation. And they are ready to uh, neutralize the threat. And so it, it needs to be taken seriously. And I hope that person is caught. Yeah, and it's especially sketchy with somebody like Jameson, who's like a known gun advocate and definitely has a lot of guns in his house. So you're sending right. you're sending pen up law enforcement to his place where they might take something the wrong way, or and that's yeah, it's it's you're a scumbag if you're swatting people. Yeah, don't swat me. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do swat me, bro, don't swat me, bro, don't swat me, don't swat me, bro. Actually, do swat me. I need the Twitter followers. <laughs> Um, 
But found yeah. Jameson's tweet, and this is this hit close to home with me, or this is exactly why I'm in it. The fight for the future of Bitcoin isn't small blockers versus big blockers. Mm. It's a struggle against apathy sliding us into author- authoritarianism. 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 Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so the first post I wrote about Bitcoin specifically was, end the Fed, hoard Bitcoins. Mm-hmm. So why do I want to end the Fed? Um, part of it is, again, the monetary policy, the booms and busts. Uh, the other aspect of it is kind of a, a justice aspect of it, which is that the Fed enables, in any central bank, enables the government to spend money in a way that not only is it wasteful, but quite often actively harmful. And um, I would argue very strongly that, for example, the war in Iraq was a wasteful and extremely destructive uh, waste of, yeah, you know, spending of money. And I don't that, think anybody's going to disagree with you at this point. Right. About that. And, you know, it was, uh, yeah. So, I mean, so you're yeah. 28, right? 20, 28, correct. 28. Yes. I'm 26. You were late 80s child, early 90s child. Yeah. Like, 89. So, for us, you were 12. During nine, I was ten. During yeah. nine, like, yeah. and I think I think this is why we're drawn to Bitcoin very, very strongly. Me personally, I know, yeah. is because I remember nine eleven very vividly. I was yeah, in fifth same. grade, and everything that's happened since then, like retrospectively looking back, sixteen years out, it's like, ah, why did we do that? Exactly. Yeah. Why did we do that? Did we act in haste? Yeah. Was it the best decision? And rolling that experience into the financial crisis of 2007, 2008. It's like, all right, what the hell is going on in this system? Is it really, does it have our best interests at heart at the end of the day? And is there something better out there? And I think that's what really drew me to Bitcoin is because it is, it's the, uh, the Buckful, what's, what's his name? Buck Fullerman. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, you guys all know this quote. You're not going to change an existing system from inside. you got to build your own, uh, system. your own system outside of that system. And that's what Bitcoin is, is that opportunity to start from scratch and build a new system that's more fair, more equitable to a sense, and something that it, it just makes more sense to me as somebody that has lived through the years following 9-11, the financial right. crisis, and basically America for the early 90s to today. Right, because I, I, at the end of the day, if a government can print its own money, it reduces the amount of accountability it has towards the taxpayers. And that's why we get into crazy situations like Iraq. Um, it's why we have the government being extremely wasteful with the money that we give it. It's because there's zero accountability. Uh, and, you know, we we do have an electoral system where we elect, like, assholes every four years and uh it never south changes park, south park said it best yeah it's, you're you're voting between an asshole and a turd sandwich uh, or douchebag douche and, and a turd, turd sandwich. sandwich that's exactly the options we have uh so at some point we have to have the option to withhold our wealth from them and tell them look if you're not going to spend this with I'm not asking you to not make any mistakes. Look, I get it. You know, like I make mistakes at work. Everyone makes mistakes. But at least give it some thought, you know. And and 
and don't lie to us about WMDs. Don't don't give us. Some they try to do it shit. with Syria too. Yeah, they, 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 with the the chemical weapons yeah. in Syria and and again, yeah, and it comes back again. It comes back to tax dollars and the leverage on violence that the government has right. because they have that that unfettered ability to take money from you in the form of taxes. Right. And this is probably behind Satoshi's white paper, one of the gospels of of the Bitcoin world is the sovereign individual and mm-hmm. that is yep. what they get into. Like if you guys haven't read this uh if you freaks haven't read this book yet, The Sovereign Individual was written in nineteen ninety seven, originally republished in nineteen ninety nine by two British economists. And they predicted a lot of what's happened mm. today. Yeah, they uh, did. Bitcoin specifically on page 25. <laughs> I know exactly what page it is. And they talk exactly about what you just described yeah. is now with this person to person value transfer system in Bitcoin, we have something where we can withhold money from, from governments uh, when they come to collect taxes and say, hey, if you want my money, you're going to have to bargain with me. And unless you want my money, you're either going to have to extract my brain wallet from my mind or you're going to have to make a good case for me to give you your money. Right. Um, it changes the cost of exercising power. Exactly. The logic of violence. That's what they the talk about. The logic of violence. That's exactly right. Um, and it, and it's And that's... What they focus on in the sovereign individual is that's why I was talking about 500-year super cycles earlier is they they focus on sort of these inflection points that are predicated on technology, mm. innovation, and we just so happen to be born during one of those inflection points with the yeah. internet and Bitcoin. And that's the point I'm trying to get across mainly in the newsletter. I don't know yeah. if you can get this vibe. Is like, yeah. let's recognize where we are in the context of history, people. Like... Things are so weird right now. They've never been this weird, and they're only going to get weirder. And Folks, we just have to recognize that we were born at one of the weirdest times in history. Let's yeah, let's take stock of how weird it is. Donald J. Trump is our president. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's all you have to say. Donald fucking Trump is our president, and this is something that the the sovereign individual predicted. They didn't say word for word Donald Trump is going to be yeah. president, but they said. They laid out the conditions that would lead to tr- that would lead to Trump. We'd mm. we'd uh, have massive job loss due to automation. We'd have nationalistic tendencies of people blaming immigrants. Yeah, uh, a strong nationalist movement for very polarized political opinions, right. and that's exactly what we're in. Now. Donald Trump is our fucking president. Well, didn't the Simpsons joke about? Oh. Trump being elected, like they, they, I think, I think Snopes might have uh, debunked that. Ah, uh, Snopes <laughs> killing my buzz. Snopes is probably hitting the slopes right now with a couple hookers somewhere. Uh, S- <laughs> Snopes killing my buzz, so you can get your buzz. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, so, uh, you know, let's 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 uh, yeah, we we got into the politics. That's important, but I think that. We got to look also at the Bitcoin politics. So we're, we're we're talking about we're talking about the macro politics. We're talking about the big <laughs> politics, and frankly, now nowadays, nowadays, I I don't pay attention to what's going on with the latest healthcare bill. Oh my I, god! I don't look at what's going on with tax reform. I look at what's going on in Bitcoin and. 
I see so many different moving parts, and it's often hard to just even keep up with uh, the new ideas. You know, like you've got buzzwords going around, like That's, mast, uh, lightning, Snore signatures, all that stuff, and that's that's probably what helps people come full circle too, is because you get so inundated with all these new ideas and projects. Yeah. If you start delving into to altcoins, is like for me personally, I'm like, oh Jesus fucking god, like I need to focus on Bitcoin specifically yeah. before I start branching out I, I like, to other that, things. I told that someone on Twitter, I was like, look, I can barely keep up with Bitcoin. What do you expect me to like get, <laughs> yeah. get, get into all these uh, altcoins and like stay up to speed on all their like little uh, tweaks and innovations? Uh, and so you freaks out there that DM me like asking me about like random ICOs and altcoins. Nine out of ten times, I'd never heard of them. Like yeah. I don't, I'm not doing like there's enough to follow in Bitcoin, and I got burnt enough in altcoins in that space to realize that the real talent is working on Bitcoin that I don't even worry about that anymore. Do you remember in 2014 when Zeta coin was going to save Africa? <laughs> well, there was Aurora coin that was going to take over Iceland. They had Archcoin. They were going to build a bunch of floating houses uh, that people oh, were going to yeah. buy. Do you remember They're, that one? The architect, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bitcoin architect. He was going to take uh, people. I think it was somewhere in in the Nordic, one of the he, Nordic countries. He, he had he had really good CGI graphics. He did. It, it was appealing. A uh, good marketing it. piece. Look, I didn't send them a Satoshi, but it still I was uh, I was taken by the idea. But and maybe we'll still do that eventually. We'll see. Maybe we'll have to with all this with all this uh, this ocean water rising. Yes, <laughs> it, it, New York City is going to be Venice. I'm giving it like twenty, thirty years. It's it's a heavy subject, man. Uh, hmm. It's heavy for me personally because I have a very very intimate relationship with the island town in South Jersey. I know yeah. it sounds crazy. It's down yeah. the shore, but I was on I, the. I'm on, I'm out in Rockaway, and yeah, it's I, a barrier island. It. It's yeah. it's they've been dredging the be- the shores every every year yeah. now, adding more sand to it. But you can only do that for so long before before the ocean gets uh, too yeah. high. But <laughs> we're about two hours into this conversation. I don't know how much time left you have. How much time left you have? We can keep going. Let's keep going um, because. I can, I'm gonna I'm gonna basically cut it up and like get the best parts of the conversation. Fantastic. We're not gonna get any Marty math in here. This is for uh, this is for. Uh, are we getting the pegging? We'll get the pegging. We'll, we'll keep the pegging. Um, uh, I'm gonna get fired uh, for that one. Okay. <laughs> you're fine. Um, nobody's listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's something else. I'll, I guess I want to delve further into like Ethereum versus Bitcoin with yeah. you. Why? One thing I want to talk about specifically that. I don't know if you can explain for me and help me better understand, but with Ethereum, what it comes down to is they're moving towards a centralized system with how big their blockchain is. Like, it's what, at 300 gigs right now? Yeah. uh, At least? I I don't know about 300 gigs. I don't know about 300 gigs because I I think it actually recently exceeded... Bitcoin. Bitcoin's at like 150. Right. I thought it was double Bitcoin. Right? That's... Well, I mean, it's exponential. So. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. So, uh, their their counter argument to that is pruning. Thank you. Yes, pruning. Um, so, you know, okay, that's fine. Uh, because, I mean, they are pretending to be decentralized. Sure. Okay, that's fine. You can do a hard fork in a week. Okay. Yeah, they had they had a, they had an emergency fix the day they were hard forking like the to day. Byzantium or whatever yeah. they're calling it. They got cool names. I'll give them that. that, that they come up with cool names. Yeah, goes back to the marketing. It goes aspect. back to the market. Hey, folks. Constantinople it, Byzantium. If your hard forks have a cool name, 
consider the possibility you're getting scammed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think that fundamentally Ethereum's problem contrasted with Bitcoin's is, you know, I was, I was saying like Bitcoin is a social consensus. It's a network where we have people who fundamentally have agreed to the rules set out by Satoshi, especially with regards to the monetary policy. And you don't really have that in Ethereum. So in Ethereum, they do have a monetary policy. It is, in some sense, similar to Bitcoin's in that it it is targeting a certain number of eth, ethers. Ether. Ether at, at some point in the future. But it is not, from what I understand, part of the social consensus in the Ethereum community. That is that they are very open to changing that monetary policy uh, at the drop of a hat if 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 circumstances uh you know are, are uh, requiring that and uh, we kind of saw a preview of that with the dao i don't know if your audience is familiar with the dao the dao you guys probably are too familiar with it the dao the decentralized autonomous, autonomous organization. organization um basically it was the first ico no not the first auger was probably the first right Depends how you define ICO, yeah. but Ethereum was an ICO itself. Yeah, um, but it was one of the first ICOs on Ethereum. It right. was last year, right. June of last year, um, and lo and behold, the smart contract scripting language. Am I saying this correctly? Solidity was yeah. Solidity. Yeah, yeah. Solidity is a scripting language. Right, right. Uh, apparently, it's not too easy to write smart contracts in it, and that's a euphemism. Not too is, easy. Not too easy. It's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. They're building tools to make it easier, but the fact that they need to build tools to make it easier will tell you something about how hard it is. And this has been my theory on Ethereum the whole time, too, is Gaul's Law. Yes. A system that starts out based in complexity and tries to to scale from there is doomed. Correct. From the beginning. And I would argue that, that Ethereum started out too complex. E- Ethereum's a, a great... Well, you know, let's let the history books write the history, but I think that it will be recognized as being uh, a great example of bad software engineering. Uh, and that one of the key principles, and this goes back to you know our discussion about Linux. So Linux, um, Linux is the, the the word Linux uh, is a play on the the creator of Linux, Linus Torvalds. And uh, the operating system that uh, preceded it called Unix. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the cypherpunks and the history of Bitcoin and how it's got a long history. Well, Linux has a long history, too. And if you go back and look at what the Unix philosophy is, one tenet, and I'd argue the most important tenet of it, is write software that does one thing well. Don't write, don't write a Swiss Army knife. Mm-hmm. If you start writing a Swiss Army knife, the complexity is such that uh, it's it's not going to cut anything. It's not going to scissor anything. It's not going to toothpick anything. It's just going to be garbage. Uh, you know. Would you consider a Turing complete world computer that can make smart contracts a Swiss Army knife? Possibly, I would argue. I would put forward. 
some would say that this is a controversial statement, but I would argue that creating a world computer Turing complete language is creating a Swiss Army knife in the worst way possible. Like, it, 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 and so Ethereum is Bitcoin is doing one thing and doing it well. That is, it is peer to peer electronic cash. Peer-to-peer electronic cash. It is a network, a payments network that has its own self-contained currency, and that's what it is. And so, you know, people are trying to graft other things onto it. That's fine. Sure, knock yourself out. Um, but Ethereum is trying to do it all. It's trying to get your medical records on the blockchain. It's trying to get insurance on the blockchain. It's trying to get derivatives on the blockchain. It's trying to get equity trading on the blockchain um i i think that that is a fool's errand and that they're they're going to the the system is going to collapse on itself um both from the difficulty of doing anything on it and then it's going to collapse due to its success and we're actually seeing that with the icos yep. is that yep that's, the, the, that's... the more it succeeds at all these different use cases, the more bloated it gets and the more the riskier it gets. And so, you know, the DAO, the DAO raised $100 million, was it? I forget. I think, it was, yes, they raised $100 million. I think they got ganked of like $50 million. Right. So they might have raised like 120 million. Actually. 120 million. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, and so the the premise of the DAO was that it was going to be basically if 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 you think about a partnership, you know, everyone puts in their money, and then the partnership decides on what to invest in. Uh, the the twist was that the decision was kind of already made that they were going to invest in this company called Slocket. <laughs> Uh, to Le- make what were they? Gonna, what was Slocket going to make? Slocket was they had locks. Yeah, that way they were going to use the blockchain to like unlock your bike in your house. Like, uh, and the, oh god, you couldn't make up a douchier CEO to Stephen the Tool Tool. Tool, yeah, I mean like, he's a tool. Yeah, he's, oh that's god. great. And so again, to go back to like yeah. the whole concept, Gaul's Law, starting from complexity. Like so, the DAO. For those of you that don't know. It got hacked. Yeah. It, it was a huge contention. that The DAO is the reason we have Ethereum and Ethereum Classic because they eventually had to hard fork. They wound up giving, they basically giving, yeah. creating another chain where everybody got their money back and the DAO hacker got screwed. But he actually didn't get screwed because he's got, no, actually, never mind. But he's got some Ethereum Classic. He's got some Ethereum Classic. Um, Presumably. I don't know. Which isn't a great asset to hold either. But that's another <laughs> conversation. Yeah. But you have a prime example, like off the bat, this was a project that was endorsed by Gavin Wood. It was endorsed by Vitalik Buterin. It was, it was. Uh, well, when you say endorsed, do you mean literally endorsed? I'm pre- yes. Like yeah. I think okay. I think they did a code audit, like yeah. of the code, right? And said yeah, they blessed it. Yeah, they blessed it, put it out in the market, and. There's a, there's a leak in the the smart contract like it's, it's hackable and yeah. right there like that is eh, yeah this is this is not how this is supposed to work like right. it's and 
it's well. So, it's interesting how far it's gotten. Though. It's gotten very far. Like like we we're just talking well, about Tezos earlier. The, the, the DAO got hacked, and they reversed the hack. And this gets back to like the social consensus. Is that the social consensus was that it is acceptable for us to take money away from this hacker, because our belief is that it was unlawfully, you know, gained. And code is law, though. Right. Their argument before the DAO was that, hey, whatever the code does is what the code does. And we're not going to go reverse things just because something didn't turn out the way you were expecting to. And that got turned on its head when the wrong people fast. lost money. And because Ethereum is a centralized system that pretends to be decentralized, it was trivial for them to reverse it and to create uh, you know, a new... St- a new consensus, and that's why I think that the monetary policy of Ethereum is not set in stone, because at the drop of a hat, if they decide that it is in their best interest, this centralized group of developers of Ethereum, to have a different monetary policy, that they will follow through and have a different monetary policy. And, you know, there's memes in Bitcoin, there's HODL, there's shitcoin, there's also- To the moon. To the moon. Let's let's remember this one. Sorry for your loss. <laughs> SFYL. You'll see it abbreviated. SFYL, baby. Sorry for your loss. And that's whenever you get your ass scammed, you get duped, you get hacked. It's happened to me twice. And the money is gone. Sorry for your loss. Hey, I SFYL'd hard. You know what? You just got to eat those lumps and keep trucking. But learn even yes, learn from learn from experience, and that is that happened to me. Like again, I I was I got I got fucking murked on MintPal in 2014. Mm. That that alt exchange, I got everything taken from my mm. account. But that's a story for another day. Going back to Ethereum, these the way they argue decentralization confuses the hell out of me because they go with pruning, sharding, uh, SPV nodes like all that. SPV nodes don't need to to hold the whole state of the blockchain or whatever they're saying. And so going back to the the amount of gigabytes on the blockchain, like I don't I don't know what Ethereum is at now. It's it's more than Bitcoin at this point. It's five years younger than Bitcoin and it yeah. already has more data than Bitcoin. And they're arguing that like, hey, pruding sharding is going to solve all of this. But at the end of the day, you still need those full nodes with the full state. And at some point, there's going to be terabytes of data on this blockchain, mm. and there's going to be a necessary full node. And you're going to get to a point where there's only a few full nodes in the world, and that is a huge attack vector in my mind. Am I well, stating this correctly? You, or? you are stating it correctly, but I think that you're actually being a little too charitable towards Ethereum. I think that they're already at the point where there's just a few f- full nodes that, that actually matter, that actually determine the consensus in Ethereum. Uh, and so, you know, in, in Bitcoin, I was saying that there's like a dozen nodes that are mining, but there are thousands of non-mining nodes. 7,000 core nodes, I think I saw yeah, today, just, just... Keeping the miners honest. Mm-hmm. And so if you just have a few nodes and there's no, there's no check on their power, uh, then you can't keep them honest. They're going to reverse your transactions, whether it's the DAO or, you know, 
uh, Vitalik sends his Bitcoin or his, his ethers to the wrong address or whatever it may be in the future, or they're just like, you know what? The Ethereum Foundation does not have enough resources to fund development, so we have to issue more ethers, and they're going into our wallet. And really, like that's just that's what's going to end up happening in my mind. Uh, it's when you have centralized power like that, which they do have. Uh, it's very hard to not just become the Fed and give yourself money. And I, mean, I, don't, I don't blame them. It's human. This is, uh, it is human, and that's how Ethereum started. I mean, they yeah. started with an ICO with a pre-mine that, was, that had a development fund built in. And, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, when I'm trying, like, again, I was talking about a higher base layer of knowledge. Like, like I want to prevent greater fools in this market in particular because I think it's holding the space as a whole back. But yeah. at the same time, it's not a failed project. Uh, I, I, don't, I yeah. So I and guess, I have I have I have I have good friends, smart friends, yeah. very good friends. Actually, who I'm interviewing next week is a yeah. big ETH, ETH bull. But I have not been convinced yet. I have not been convinced that it's that it's that it's viable. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, it's. I, I certainly um, was taken aback by the the success it had this year uh, in the marketplace. Yeah, you had you had Vlad Zamfir, the head researcher of Ethereum, in February when the price was at eight dollars or twenty dollars, I yeah. think, saying everybody should not be buying this. This is untested code. Uh, that that was a bad market call on his part. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, it's it, at 300 it, today, I think. Something. Yeah, it got up to 400 at one point, yeah. but you still. That's yeah. Good. Like, and you can yeah. talk about dumb money rushing in, but back to the point, like he's the lead researcher of the Ethereum project, and so, he's saying this is unstable technology that you should not be throwing money at. Let's talk about... Let's talk about the dumb money, uh, because so my my view is that uh, ethers has gone up in value due to the fact that people want to buy ICOs, and so the way you buy ICOs is that you buy ethers and then you buy the ICO. Uh, Not for all you can you can some of them are in Bitcoin. Can, yeah, you can do you can buy into ICOs with Bitcoin, but most are launched off of Ethereum because they made it so easy. Right, because they have this uh, thing called ERC-20 tokens. Um, Just come to come to the meet, <laughs> go to the Austin, uh, Austin, Texas Ethereum meetup. They'll teach you how to spin up uh, an ICO yes. with an ERC-20 token. Just make sure you come with a good marketing plan. There you go. Uh, so, you know, lots of folks seeing fantastic marketing plans on uh, LinkedIn or on the uh, ICO website. And they're like, oh, you know what? I need, I, need a, I need to get in on this. They go and they buy Ethereum. So that makes the price go up. And then they send their Ethers to this project. And so the, the project treasurer, whoever that is, very wealthy man because he can just walk away with that money at that point. Um, so they they sit on those ethers until they need to spend them, right? And so as they spend them, it unwinds the initial process of people going into ethers because basically they're there's they got to go sell the ethers for bitcoins or for dollars or euros or whatever they need to you know, fund the development or buy a Lambo or whatever they were going to do because you just donated money to them. Uh, and so that to me is what is going to cause the price of ethers to go 
down is that you have what's in economics it's called capital flight. So like an economy, you know, they'll have like you know uh, equities and bonds and whatnot. And so when people sell those and they sell the local currency to just get out of the economy entirely because they were foreign investors, which is describes everyone in Ethereum. Everyone's a foreign investor. No mm-hmm. one is born in Etherland. Uh, and so that that means that we're going to see capital flight out of Ethereum. I think, I think we are already are in terms of Bitcoin. If you yeah, look at it in terms of Bitcoin. There could be another wave, right? Like There could be another, another wave of ICOs that captures the imaginations of people. I think that we've tapped out the dumb money. I, I think we have as well, too, because... Tezos this week being a great example. I mean, yeah. one of the, I think Banker was the biggest, and then Tezos, or maybe it was another. Tezos is top three. I'm pretty positive, I can say. In yeah. Amount raised via uh, ICO. It might be number one. Might be number one. Um, but that is a perfect example of oh shit! Like we just threw our money at something. It, the the you know, what the what the what's her name? Catherine Catherine Brightman. Yes. She came out in that Kathleen. Kathleen. She came out in that Reuters article and was like, "Oh, uh, yeah, the people that bought Tezos, that bought Tezzies, they they fully understand that they basically bought tote bags." Yeah, right. Like, yeah, you know, my favorite quote from that is uh, Tim Draper. So he, <laughs> oh my god, he he gave them a million bucks, and the reporter emails. So how much did you donate to Tezos? And he replies. You mean buy? I bought a lot. <laughs> uh, sorry, Mr. Draper, t- you got to read the fine print. Tim Draper, sorry for your loss. You should have just hodled that thirty thousand Bitcoin you bought from the Silk Road. Just sit on it. Just you donated. It. You made a donation, and you, you know I, I tweeted out that he, he's a philanthropist. <laughs> he reminds me of Warren Buffett. <laughs> he's a good guy, Tim. He's a good guy. What? So. Let's get into so why are we wrong? Why would we be wrong in this argument? Yeah, how are um, we wrong if we are? Let's play that. Let's play that. Yeah, angle. let's play that. Uh, so basically, that these ICOs are able to execute and create value, and that they take the the capital that they have been allocated, and they go out and deploy it, and due to their uh, savvy and their um, their their hard work, they are able to produce products for the marketplace that ultimately create value and generate cash flows, and thus investors in those ICOs see a uh, a return that matches their expectations, and uh, they go in and reinvest, and the Ethereum ecosystem as a whole uh, grows much faster than Bitcoin. And. You find that very hard. You, you yeah. do not see that playing. <laughs> so, um, what what I just described is quite possibly one of the most difficult things to accomplish in the world, which is successful entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Successful entrepreneurship is insanely hard. And the the um, the paradox is that the more money you raise, the harder it is. <laughs> the harder it is, because first of all, you've got 
bigger expectations from more people and you have less motivation mm-hmm. because you have no strings attached fuck you money <laughs> a quarter billion of the dollar quarter billion of dollar walk away with marty's drunk and yeah marty math uh you can walk away with that money why why waste your time trying that, to program some bullshit that frankly also let's let's not forget the third point which is that programming these distributed applications that these uh, ICOs are promising is several orders of magnitude harder than programming a centralized application which let's not forget is extremely difficult on its own merit so what would you say to the people that point at what some would argue is a vanity metric of yeah. the amount of developers that are working on Ethereum as opposed to Bitcoin. Um, that's that's what yeah. a lot of people pump in Ethereum yeah. is the developer community yeah. is so right. uh, enthralled, they're so passionate, and so, they have the manpower right. and the passion to to will Ethereum into that's fair ubiquity. Um, I, I th- uh, so Ethereum. Specifically, has targeted uh, creating kind of a developer-friendly environment in the sense that the programming languages that they use. Um, so they have Serpent, which is Python, which I think I think I don't remember. Uh, they they abandoned one of them or something. But uh, and then you have um, uh, you have a JavaScript version, uh, and so those are easy on ramps for developers. Um, the thing is, though, is that it's very easy to throw code together. I was, I was talking earlier. I've, I've I've written a lot of shit code. Uh, the hard part is polishing it into production-worthy code and making it so that not only does this code work under normal circumstances, but it works under abnormal circumstances and when you're not expecting things that you're not expecting. Uh, and so as we saw with the DAO... That is extremely difficult to do when you're trying to program a complex distributed application. Now, the other thing, too, is that, frankly, I don't really care how many developers you have. I really care about the quality of your developers. Uh, If you look at WhatsApp, WhatsApp sold to Facebook for billions of dollars. They had a couple dozen developers. So... It, IBM IBM has thousands of developers. They're shit developers. They, yeah. Sorry if you work at IBM, get a new job. But uh, <laughs> the the quantity gets eclipsed by the quality, and it, here's why. Like it's counterintuitive, but here's why. Software is about scaling. You write one piece of code, and you run it a billion times. So that's why having quality developers, it's just it's incomparable to having a, a a huge quantity of shit developers. Yeah, and so we get into the quality over quantity. Yeah, debate which I agree with. It's, again, this whole space is a meritocracy, and yeah. that's again I got a lot of friends that are in Ethereum. They think it's the next thing. They think they're going to be using the world computer soon, but. Don't get caught up in the marketing. It's all marketing. And if you and you said the DAO yeah. was the only example. The DAO is not the only example. A parity wallet got hacked yeah. three months ago, two months <laughs> ago. And 
the Parity Wallet, which is written Solidity, it was founded by Gavin Wood, who wrote Solidity. Like he yeah, created the Solidity, the Solidity coding language. He couldn't even write a, a, a smart contract that was secure. His yeah. company couldn't. Like, if the dude that created the language that you're running your system on can't create a bug-free, hack-free smart contract, you might not want to be buying Ethereum. Yeah, there, there's a thing too in software development. They're like, don't don't write code that is at your level of competence because then you won't be able to debug it because debugging it requires 2x your comp- the the complexity of the code. So it, you got to write code that is half of what you are able to write. That way you can debug it at your level of competence. And that's an important heuristic in software development. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to add is that uh, we're, we're talking about currencies you know we're not mm-hmm. just talking about technologies we talk about technologies a lot but this is these are currencies and so the the quality of the investors that you're attracting in my mind is almost as important as the quality of the developers that you are attracting and so if you are attracting dumb money you're going to have dumb investors who uh, are not going to stick in, stick around when things get tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're attracting smart money and intelligent investors who understand how to ride cycles and how to wait things out and understand bear markets, they get that they might buy at 1200 2 years ago and it's at 6000 today and they'll just average it out. Yeah. And you're finding a uh... A quick lesson in dumb money and the people that went with Roger Ver and Bcash. Um, that's they been a quick slap in the face. Got for those your people. ass burnt. Who knows? Hey, yeah. Nothing settled. Yeah. Hey, Bitcoin Cash might make a huge comeback. Might, we might be uh, eating crow. Uh, something tells me that's not going to be the case. I don't think so. Not with their <laughs> EDA, their their difficulty adjustment. They, they, they said they're, they're they're working on fixing it. They're, work, they're gonna oh they're gonna do another hard fork. They've already created we're, hyper. We're going to have Bitcoin Cash Cash. Uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, cash 2X. Bit, uh, so <laughs> how do we... So let's bring it back. Yeah, let's bring let's it bring full it circle. How do we articulate this to our listeners? Where are we right now? Mm. How have your thoughts changed initially from when you first got into Bitcoin to where we are now? And how do you see them evolving going forward? And we're going to stop there for today. This is the end of part two, episode two of Tales from the Crypt. Hope you guys enjoyed the last hour of our conversation with Pierre. Again, we hit on a a bunch of topics, uh, interesting things, speculative attacks, Bitcoin versus Ethereum, quality over quantity, uh, the ICO frenzy this year. Um, We'll be back next week with part three, the final part of our three-part conversation with Pierre. Again, like I said in the beginning of the episode, uh, the conversation is only getting more interesting in my mind as as we get further into it. Um, next week in part three, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about cold storage. How to do some Bitcoin cold storage and uh, talk about some techniques that that you freaks can use to uh, to get your Bitcoin off the exchange and into your possession. Because again, that's the uh, the most important part of this experiment is taking back your individual sovereignty and, and controlling your own wealth. So again, hope you guys uh, enjoyed the conversation. If so, 
please subscribe follow me on twitter share share the podcast with your family your friends random people on the street i don't care who let's just spread the word um and i will see you freaks next week enjoy the weekend